Good morning again and welcome. So glad to be worshiping with you this morning. You know, it's always dangerous to make generalizations, but I'm going to make some generalizations. I think if I had to pick one word to sum up how we approach death in our era, in our moment, where we are, the word that I would use is avoidance. And again, this is a generalization. I'm not suggesting that this is true for everyone and everywhere. But I do think there is a common attitude of avoidance toward death where we live. Let me talk about a couple of ways that I see that. One is the physical reality of death we avoid. We sequester death to institutions that are very clean. Where we source out the caring for our deepest loved ones during the process of death. And as I say this, please don't hear this as a criticism of you. This is observations. These are observations that I struggle with myself. When someone has died, we deal with a funeral home. And we never have to deal with the physical reality of death ourselves. This is in contrast to what people of past eras always did. So Christians, for instance, would clean the bodies of their own dead and take them to the grave themselves. So we, we avoid, in some sense, the physical reality of death. Another way that we do this ourselves is as we get older, some of us will say, and I even say, some of us will say, don't worry about me. If you need to put me somewhere, put me somewhere. <laughs> I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands of who has used these words, but I know that we, use, we do. And we do it out of a concern for those that we love. We don't want to burden people with our own death. <laughs> Can you believe that? We don't, do we? So in some way, we avoid the physical reality of death, our own, but also that, those of others. Another way that we avoid death is we avoid the emotions of death. So instead of having services, historically, and I'm not suggesting this is the way to go, they would hire out wailers to grieve loudly at people's death. That's an extreme, all right? I agree, I would say that. Now, We do celebration of life services so that we don't actually grieve at death. Instead, we find ways to avoid the grief of death. I learned recently that there was a guy, a ship captain in Hawaii, who was making all kinds of bank by people hiring him to take the cremation remains of their relatives out into the ocean to dispense of them while they host the celebration of life service on the boat. And this dude is just getting wealthy in Hawaii as a ship captain to dispense with remains and to try to turn death into something beautiful. Something in which we don't have to deal with the awfulness of what's happened when someone dies. And has been completely, it seems, removed from our lives and from the world itself. 
So maybe you can't relate to it in quite that way. But as I look out on our moment, I see avoidance. I see avoidance of the physical reality of death. Avoidance of the emotions that coincide with death. Now look, people have always tended toward extremes when it comes to death. So if you look historically, some people have even worshipped at the point of death. Worshipped their ancestors. They go to their, their gravesite. And give offerings to them. They even believe in some. There's been fear at times associated with this worship. And so they would believe that their ancestors. If they didn't do that. If they didn't go offer these sacrifices. They were concerned their ancestors would come and haunt them in some way. So death has always been associated with some of our uh, most extreme emotions. Right? And here I want to offer to you, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, is one of the most beautiful aspects of our Christian faith. Our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God himself, entered life so that he might die. So that we would no longer have to fear death. So that you would no longer have to avoid death. But instead so that death might become a gateway into the greatest life. Into life. I want this day called All Saints. The point of this day is that we might learn to approach death with with mingled emotions. One, with grief. Grief is real. Blessed are those who mourn, the Lord Jesus says. Grief. But also with a hope-filled gratitude. With grief and with a hope-filled gratitude. Why? Why in the world could we ever approach death with hope-filled gratitude? One, Because of God's grace in our own lives. All of us are going to face death. Some of us much sooner than we would like. And we can in our own lives approach death with hope filled gratitude. Because of God's grace in our own lives. An early death or a late death. If cancer comes when we least expect it. Young or old, we can approach death with a hope-filled gratitude because of God's grace in our lives. And also because of God's grace in the lives of those who go before us. These are the two things I really want to talk with you about for just a few minutes. We can approach death with grief and hope-filled gratitude because of God's grace in our own lives and because of God's grace in the lives of those who go before us. The main passage that I'm going to draw from this morning is the one that CJ read for us in Revelation chapter 7. So if you do have a Bible and would like to follow along, I encourage you to open there. This is Revelation chapter 7, starting in verse 9. The person telling this story, writing this, what we believe to be the Apostle John, who also wrote the Gospel of John. 1st through 3rd John, and is now writing this letter 
And he's especially writing it to Christians who are going through great suffering. God, revelation means like a window has opened into another world. It's an apocalypse, a revealing of a greater reality beyond the reality of that we're experiencing right now. So John has experienced a glimpse into heaven. And that's what he's seeing in this moment. After this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne of God and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. So, there's a great multitude here, right? From every tribe, tongue, nation under heaven. The first thing that you need to know is that in heaven, time is all gathered together. Past and future. How would there be a great multitude of every tribe, tongue, and nation in the first 50 years after Jesus died and rose from the dead? This doesn't make sense. You see, what John is seeing in heaven are the saints from time past and time into the future. Time immemorial. This is an amazing thing about God's sense of time. Is time is all held together. The past and the future. John in this moment is seeing all peoples who have followed the Lord Jesus Christ. Gathered together in heaven and offering him worship. So this vision is not just about people then. This vision is about you. It's about me. It's about people now and it's about people for as long as time goes until Jesus returns to make all things new. So he sees this great multitude, no one can number, all people gathered together, united. No longer are there wars between nations, right? They're standing before the throne and before the Lamb, and they are clothed in white robes. Later we hear that the robes are white because they have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. I hope you see that that makes no sense except for God's mercy. Come, let us reason together, the Lord says in Isaiah. Though your sins be like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. The reason that you can give thanks because of God's grace in your life is that the God has done something through Jesus to make you something greater than you are. He has changed your identity. You're, you are not based on the things that you do. Your identity is not rooted in the things that you do. Your identity, if you're willing to accept it, is rooted in the Lord Jesus himself. And what he's done. This is why we wear white robes. Because you're going to wear white robes too. We're trying to get you used to it. Okay? You're going to have to wear a dress when you're in heaven. You are. You need to be prepared for this. We can approach death with grief. But also with a hope-filled gratitude. 
because of God's grace in our lives. Because of the grace of the Lord Jesus. Because of his death and resurrection and his conquering of sin. Now, this isn't the only picture of grace, though, in our passages today. In Ephesians, we heard that God has given us an extravagant inheritance through the Lord Jesus. I don't care who the most wealthy person is that you know. I do not care. You, if you trust in the Lord Jesus, have a greater inheritance than all the wealth you can ever imagine. The Lord has an inheritance for you as his child. It's waiting. Death has become a gateway into an inheritance that is beyond your imagination. Don't put your hopes in the things that you attain in this world. There's another inheritance that's waiting for you because of God's grace in your life. Now, I want to mention to you one last picture of God's grace that he would show in your own life. It is the down payment of this inheritance. It's the Holy Spirit. If you believe in the Lord Jesus and you allow him to make you whiter than snow, to cleanse your sin, he gives you the power of his spirit as a down payment on the inheritance. You've received a lot of the wealth already. And he has given you power so that even now, in the midst of the brokenness of the world, you can be greater than you are. Listen. Wow. Did you guys know? I don't know if you know this. Black powder season started yesterday. I haven't been that been yet. So in my imagination, I'm wondering if they got something back there. I'm sorry. Okay. The greater inheritance we have is the Holy Spirit. No matter how large that animal is. Okay. <laughs> they shouldn't be doing that on Sunday, should they? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. All right. Hey, none of us, none of us can claim a victimhood or um, just that we are the way we are as, as if we can't do something about our sin. All of us are broken. All of us have patterns that we've developed. All of us have an inheritance, another inheritance from our families or, you know, from various circumstances. But because of the Holy Spirit, you can become greater than you are. You can change. The Lord is giving you a down payment so that you're preparing for the inheritance that he's going to give you in heaven. I was thinking about this earlier. You know, there are all these stories about people who have won the lottery, who have been in poverty. And do you know these stories? What usually happens to those people? They spend it all. They don't know what to do with it. You have an inheritance that is going to be greater than anything you can imagine. And the Holy Spirit is trying to teach you now, in your life now, what to do with it when you get there. (laughs) He's trying to train you in the kind of practices that you're going to need when you get to heaven. To be the kind of person who can see God and love him. We're told by Paul that when we see Jesus, we will see him as he is and we will become like him. And your job in life now through the power of the Holy Spirit is slowly to be becoming like him. To confess your sins. Listen, we're all messing up every day. This is not a shaming. It's are you confessing those sins and allowing the Holy Spirit to make you new? 
Are you receiving the grace of God deep into the darkest places in your life so that you can become like Jesus? So we can approach death with a hope-filled gratitude because of God's grace in our lives. But we can also approach death with hope-filled gratitude because of God's grace in the lives of those who go before us. Remember that Revelation is a picture of time eternal. Many of us have people in our lives who have gone on. Where are they? They're with Jesus right now. You should not speak about past Christians in the past tense. This is a hard thing. I even have to retrain my mind. Those who have gone before us in faith, they live. They are present now with Christ. And it's, the window between heaven and earth is very thin. As we worship, one reason we sing the song that we do at communion is because it's the song of the angels and the song of heaven. They are singing that song too. We're just joining with them in the eternal service that they're participating in. They're present. They're not past. They are present. We should speak about them in the present tense. I want to encourage you as a practice with people that you in your life who have gone on to be with the Lord. I want to encourage you when you think about them to imagine them in the presence of Jesus and what it's like that they are being fully healed. Imagine all the things that they're foibles. Ones that were laughable and that ones that were not so laughable. Imagine them in the, all the traits of their personality. What is it like that they are standing before Jesus and everything that they are has been taken up in his presence and made right? Think about them in that way. Give thanks for them and for the role that they play in your life. A godly inheritance is an amazing gift that we receive. If we have people in our lives, family or not blood relatives, who have shown Jesus to us. And we should continually give thanks for the role that they have played in our lives. I want to suggest that we all need practices in our lives so that we do not succumb to the cultural temptation to avoid death. It's physical reality and it's emotions. And so I want to close by giving us, offering us some practices. One thing I want to encourage you to do, this is part of our heritage as a church, is to read about the saints. We have saints days in the, lives, in the life of our church. Not because we worship saints, but because when we read about the lives of the saints, we are more inspired to follow Jesus ourselves. And reading about those saints, so-called, you know, they might seem like great saints or something like that. They're abnormal people. But I want to encourage you that when you read about those saints, it should also help you to give thanks for the local saints. The unknown, anonymous saints in your life. Some of the people who have shaped my life, my life the most deeply are people that are not known out of their own town. 
And those are saints that we should think about, contemplate, and give thanks for their lives and be inspired by them. So I want to encourage you to read about the lives of the saints. Another practice I want to encourage you in is I want to encourage you to draw near to the dying. Draw near to those who are dying. Do you have people in your life, family, not family, Christian, not Christian, who are dying or who are close to that stage? Find ways, and listen, this is tricky. People don't always want this. Don't force yourself on them. But find ways of asking if you can be with them in some way. And when you are not able to be with them, pray for them. Pray for them. I, I mentioned at the beginning of the service this privilege of being with Jed and Christy Pascarella last night with Christy's mom um, near to death. And we have this wonderful gift in our prayer book that, I, again, I mentioned this last week. Um, these are available. Jed has been, had been, and Christy had been praying over her mom the last few days uh, with the prayers preparing for death. There's a liturgy in here to help you know how do you pray with someone who is near to death. And there are prayers that are offered. And then last night, we anointed Bertha with oil, and there is a final prayer to commend a person at the time of death that says, Depart, O Christian soul, out of this world to be with God eternal. Listen, you can do this with people. If you're, you're a Christian, you are a saint. You're a priest. Be with God's people. Be with others in their dying and bring God's presence to bear in those moments. And then also, when there is a time for it, invite the church into this. Listen, I, I, this may sound weird. One of my callings, one of Travis's callings, clergy's callings is to be with you. When you are near to death. And so I'm asking you. You better tell your family to call me. I'm going to be mad if you don't. Okay? And I'm going to talk to you when I get there. I'm No, I, I'm kidding, but serious. <laughs> I want to be with you in these moments. I want to be with your family in these moments. Call the church to be with you in death. You draw near to the dying and then lastly, I want to share with you this practice that I learned about just in the last week. Bishop Steve, our main bishop, shared this with us. There's a church in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Actually, Father Ben Sharp pastored this church, and now there's another pastor there. Um, they have started a teaching on preparing for Christian death. They are organizing a group of people in their church. When someone in their church dies, they will prepare their body for burial themselves. They're not farming it out. They're not outsourcing it. They are doing it. They're drawing near to their people at death. They also have organized an order of St. Joseph of Arimathea. And, and this order of people is building simple caskets for their people to be buried in. And they'll probably you know, share these with the community as well. I offer this to you simply as an example what are the ways that God's people can share with the world the hope 
of a God who died and has risen to conquer death. Listen, how we approach death could be one of the most evangelistic things we do. This is not just private practice. This is not just about us. This is about loving the world that fears death and avoids death at all costs. How might God's people show a grief but hope-filled gratitude in the face of death? You, you can have grief and hope-filled gratitude because of God's grace in your life and in the lives who go before you to be with God. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.